The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And with that, Abram, later called Abraham, became one of the first religious refugees, an immigrant called away from his country by his faith. Going, going from your country meant for Abram leaving the comfort and safety of home and family and venturing into very dangerous territories. If the sheer hardship of being a wanderer didn't kill you, suspicious tribes who feared outsiders would. But going from his country, leaving comfort and safety, was the catalyst that Abram needed to realize his full potential. Blessed by God and a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now it's notable the human history thus far in Genesis, where today's reading is taken from, is filled with curses, not with blessings. Curses against Adam and Eve, against Cain, against the entire humankind during Noah's time, and especially against the land of Canaan. But here in today's reading, there's kind of a turning point. You see, Abram is, filled, is blessed and filled with blessings. Here the blessings overwhelm the curses. Abram is a new start in God's history with mortals, and it begins with an overflowing of blessing. But to do this, he has to go from his country. Blessing starts with the pattern of leaving the familiar and safe and, and venturing into the unknown. And we spend all of our lives recreating this pattern, physically, mentally, spiritually. We might actually relocate to a new part of the country or the world, but it also might simply mean venturing into another town. And in another way, each change in our lives as we mature can also be a kind of go from your country experience. Entering puberty, if memory serves, is, is a significant and, and often dramatic movement from the familiar rhythms of childhood to something much more unexpected and erratic. But graduation, marriage, the experience of growing older all are calls for us to go from your country. Like for Abram, each, each life stage is also a chance to be blessed by and to be a blessing to others. I spent a good deal of my adult years moving to and from various cities and even a couple of other countries. Chicago, Miami, Mexico City, Caracas, San Francisco, New York City, among others. And this was often in the service of my job but I always jumped at the chance to be a stranger in a strange land, learning the rhythms and quirks of a new city before I was already getting ready for the next one. Now, psychologists refer to this as doing a geographic, where you think that a new place will fill in for something that's missing in your life. I soon found out, though, that wherever you end up, there you are. The short-lived burst of enthusiasm for a new locale was more and more quickly replaced by my growing need for a deeper sense of purpose. I wasn't born in Arkansas, but I got here as soon as I could. <laughs> you see, it, it took me leaving this big city life and returning to my roots of sorts in a small town, Arkansas, that I found the space to find myself and my purpose in the Episcopal Church. I had to go from the country that I had created in my mind to be blessed by and hopefully to be a blessing to this church. Now it's a journey I wish I had taken decades earlier, but, but I wasn't ready. I had to go from many towns and countries before I could find a home.
and I never had the chance to hear God's voice as Abram did, reassuring me as I left the comforts of a new home or a new family. But in retrospect, I realized that God was speaking to me all along, urging me toward this place, this church, toward you. And what strikes me about Abram is the wordless affirmation of God's call. He doesn't respond, he simply obeys. Much like he'll do later in Genesis when God again calls him to a land that he'll show him as he's called to raise the knife to slaughter Isaac, his son. Abram, then called Abraham, is defined by his obedience to God. Put another way, it's his willingness to say yes to all that God asks. Today's gospel reading with Nicodemus' prickly interaction with Jesus is what might be seen as, an, as a way of saying no, is what saying no to God might look like. Despite being a powerful member of the Israelite elite, Nicodemus comes under the cover of night. Now, darkness and light are powerful themes in the Gospel of John, and in this introduction to Nicodemus, he's forever associated with darkness. That's not a good thing. And he appears to come with good intentions. He tells Jesus that he and others recognize that Jesus' signs are markers that he comes from God. And Jesus responds to this apparent compliment with nothing more than a non sequitur. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now Nicodemus thinks he can know God's will from the presence of signs. And Jesus right there and then is forcing him to think differently. You see, Jesus is calling for an entirely different view of reality than Nicodemus has. The kingdom of God isn't revealed in simple signs, but in a world turned upside down, in a new birth into a new worldview. And instead of simply saying yes, like Abram did, Nicodemus offers a resounding no in the form of questions like, how can this be so? He doesn't want to go from his country of comfort and power into the unknown of Jesus' kingdom of God. Who knows, it, it might be dangerous, and it certainly is scary. In John's gospel, every encounter with Jesus is an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. All that is required is the right faith, the right belief, a belief that is truly transformational and goes way beyond signs. It's a belief that reorganizes the very fabric of being into direct relationship with Jesus, with the divine. And two more times in this short reading, Nicodemus responds to Jesus' call to upend his view of reality and to acknowledge the kingdom. And two more times, Nicodemus falls short. He doesn't understand being born from above. He certainly doesn't understand being reborn of the water and the spirit. And you can tell that Jesus grows tired of Nicodemus. How can these things be? And, and he leaves him behind and launches into his discourse about testifying to the heavenly things and tells us about his own crucifixion by being lifted on the cross as Moses lifted the serpent in the desert to save the Jews from death. Today's reading probably includes the most known gospel verse, if not Bible verse, from John. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. This verse, or, or it's King James Version that we probably all know by heart, is John 3.16. And it's famous at football games and on inspirational posters in doctor's offices. And it's also a succinct statement of our belief. 
God loved all creation, so much so that he gave his only son to death on the cross, so that all may not perish, but have everlasting life. And all we have to do is believe. It sounds so simple. But belief is quite possibly one of the most challenging things we can attempt to do. To believe, to really believe. The writer of the book of Hebrews defines belief or faith, as he puts it, as, quote, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this gives us an idea of the task ahead of us when we choose to truly believe. You see, it's the assurance of things hoped for. Not the best guess or odds-on favorite, but it's the assurance of things hoped for. And then the conviction of things not seen. There's no room for doubt. We're beyond that. We are convinced even though we have not seen. Now Nicodemus believed because he had seen the signs, and even that fell, for, fell short of Jesus' much higher standard. And we're being called to believe without even seeing those signs. And belief in this sense has three components. First, it's knowledge of what is to believe. We've got to know what we, what we are being asked to do. We don't take it on hearsay, but we research, we study. This is our Bible study. This is our times together. Second is intellectual acceptance of its truth. This is where we overcome doubt and we become convicted, like the writer of Hebrews tells us. And then th the third, and I think it's really key, is we make a personal commitment to this truth. We get this truth in our bones. We burn it deeply into our view of reality in the way that Nicodemus couldn't. You see, belief is not just a head thing, but it's a whole body thing. It reaches the very depths of our being. It is being called from our country of comfort and familiarity into a new place, the kingdom of God, where our entire view of reality has to pass through the shadow of the cross, and it takes on the shape of the cross. And it's a scary, unfamiliar place, and especially during these dark days of Lent, when we're called to account for our shortcomings, our ways which we've let down the cross. But the good news is we're not alone. So what do we do as a result of this belief? Because we have to do something, don't you think? And maybe we follow Jesus' model, which is always a good place to start. There's a point in Luke where Jesus kind of summarizes his resume as he's getting a message back to John the Baptist. And he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. So we help, we heal, we bring good news to the poor. That's part of what we do. And we journey together side by side with the Holy Spirit under the watchful eyes of God the Father and God the Son into the land that God shows us where we are blessed and we are a blessing. And it starts with a yes to God's call. It starts by believing, head, heart, body, soul believing, and then we do something about it. We follow Jesus' example. Now let's go. Amen.